This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Phyllis Strong, writer-producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Trip. Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5 Trek FM's dedicated enterprise podcast. I am but one of your hosts, Brandy Jackola, and with me as always is my good friend Patrick Devlin. Patrick, how are you on this fine evening? I'm doing great. Uh, beautiful weather out, went and hung out at the beach after work, so I'm doing good. How, how are you? <laughs> it's ridiculously hot here. There was no hanging out outside at all. <laughs> no, it was perfect. Like it. it was like 78 degrees. Shut your mouth. A little bit of cloud cover, you. but not too much. Oh, oh, I long for cloud cover <laughs> to block out the sun. What temperature was it where you were? Uh, it was 95. Past hell. Got it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's going to get up to 100 on Wednesday, so looking forward to that, she said sarcastically. Uh, uh, very obviously missing is our good friend Brandon Shamatella. He is uh, on his way to Riza for some R&R, and uh, we know nothing good happens on Riza unless you're Hoshi. Yes, of course. Yeah, Hoshi is the only person that I've ever seen that didn't encounter a massive problem on their way to, from, or on. Rise up. Yeah. <laughs> Rise it's, up. Little, it's, it's the worst vacation spot ever. It's like the worst club med ever. Yeah, and people people still keep going there. So Flock there by heaven, the millions. Yeah, uh, yeah. So heaven only knows when we'll see Brandon again. Um, he might get kidnapped and brainwashed. I just don't know at this point. Anything could happen. <laughs> True. <laughs> so we have a fun episode planned. Well, I wouldn't say fun. I guess fun's not the right word. We have an interesting episode planned for you tonight, uh, today, uh, this morning, this afternoon, uh, whatever time you're listening to it, because podcasts are an on-demand sort of thing. And uh, before we get to that, do we have any comments on our last released episode, Patrick? Uh, yes, we do have comments from the Babel Conference for our episode 152, which was Ode to Spiner. And Pat Patrick Carlin says, I know the canon of books is debatable, but in the Mirror Universe story, Age of the Empress, we see the MU counterpart of Ar Arik Sung, who is, spoilers, killed by the end of the story. Time-wise, that's not far too far ahead, maybe a year ahead of where this is. 
And in Mirror Universe Story, the the worst of both worlds, from the same anthology book as uh, Age of Empress, we see the Mirror Universe Nunyan Sung meet Mirror Universe Picard. So going on that, he would have had a kid well before his time with the Augments. So he's saying that the kid was already born but in the pre being universe. arrested, right? <laughs> I guess. But but that's in the mirror universe. But as we see, the mirror universe tends to mirror our universe timeline-wise. Not always. That's true. But but they've been bringing that closer and closer together. Um, I would think that the mirror universe would be all about augments. That's probably true, too. But <laughs> but no, I mean just mean character development. Like Typically, mirror universe characters are born the same time and live the same time. Some die yeah. a little differently, but... Uh, even we see in Discovery with uh, Georgiou still ends up with Michael Burnham, you know. So I guess I guess that can make sense. But again, he, like he said, it's in the books. So take it for what you want. Either it counts or it doesn't. Um, he also wrote, Also with Archer's brief trip into open space at the start of the Augments, I was 100% expecting a particular scene from The Last Je- Jedi to be brought up again. And I don't care what anyone else says. I love that scene. All right, so everyone loves that scene except for me, apparently. No, Brandon doesn't like it either, I don't think. Okay, maybe. But I I don't know. It's just so science wrong and so easily disproved. But I get why people like it, and I get why it doesn't have to be scientifically right. Well, see, the thing is, is that Star Wars isn't science fiction. It's fantasy. Well, that's true. But we're talking about Star Trek, too. Yeah, but Star Trek is more based in science than Star Wars is. No, I know, but either way, the flying around in space shouldn't happen. No, it shouldn't, but we don't know for sure whether what would actually happen because uh, we don't have anyone around <laughs> that's been through it, so we can't really say for sure what how it would happen or what would happen or if it's possible. So until yeah. proven otherwise, it's plausible, but not necessarily fact right okay because i can be diplomatic <laughs> and then we also have a comment from aaron mills who says for some bizarre reason this was the only episode i would get of enterprise and that did not endear me to it also i was never a fond of lore so once i figured out soon was basically lore i was out uh if you hated lore i could see this being a problem for you this episode these sets of episodes yeah, but the thing is, is that soon Arik soon really had a conscience. He really was not about just wanton death and destruction of anyone who didn't like his augments. Well, yeah, but he that, tried to. That's if you so, got that far. Yeah, if you got that if, far. If you saw Lore immediately and went, oh, "Never mind," click, then you never got to the part where he had a conscience. So. Yeah. Well, and it was always there. It's just. Sometimes, sometimes very smart people will get lost in what could be Yes, that they don't stop to think about whether or not that should be. Yes, absolutely. And we have one last comment from Brandon A. Cowles, who just wrote, I just assume he got out of prison and had a kid, which is kind of what yep. we came up with as our headcanon was. He got out of prison and had a kid because yeah. he doesn't mention a kid at any point during these augments or anything, so... You would think he hadn't had, even though um, Patrick Harley makes a compelling argument otherwise, you wouldn't think he had a kid and never talked about him when meeting his children again. Mm. 
perhaps he had a falling out. If he if he had a kid before being imprisoned, it's possible they had a major falling out, and he they might have disowned each other. It's possible. So he would never speak of said child, but. We just don't know, but it's, you know, there are ways that that is possible for him to have progeny, so we're all good. Yep, and that fixes the whole series for us. Perfect, thank you. (laughs) Excellent. Well, we do not have any new reviews this week, so guys, go into Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and written review, please. We'll read even the bad ones, but, I mean, not bad as in... As in, we think they're terrible, but that is in, you think we're terrible. But you know, there's such a thing as constructive criticism. If you don't like us, that's okay. But you don't have to be mean about it. Just tell us why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm doing my Mr. Rogers voice right now, but... I don't know, but do you know, speaking of Mr. Rogers, do you know he they just uh, released a U.S. postage stamp of Mr. Rogers? <gasps> Yay! Yeah. I don't know how that pertains to any of this, but yeah. Because I mentioned Mr. Rogers. Yes, true. That pertains. We're all neighbors. We're all neighbors. All right, then. I guess it is time to go into the body of our episode, so to speak. We are taking a deep dive into the season one episode, Detained. Which is kind of applicable to some stuff that's going on right now. Yeah, a little bit, right? I mean, so... Just a brief, very brief summary, because I'm not good at summaries of this episode. But basically, um, Archer and, and Mayweather are taken uh, prisoner into a, a detention center. We don't know that, actually, at the start. We just know they wake up somewhere random. But they're taken into a detention center. Uh, spoiler alert, Dean Stockwell shows up for this episode, so that's pretty cool to see those two together. But he's the colonel that's in charge of said detention center and basically lies through his teeth throughout the entire episode. Mm, uh, and then there's a not not completely, but most of it. And yeah. then and then there's a, a breakout attempt. So we kind of have yeah. everything in here. Little bit of everything and uh, metaphors that are uh, not only referenced indirectly but directly as well. So yeah, well, what's interesting about this episode is it held actually really good meaning when it originally aired, due to the uh, you know the. 9-11 and everything that was going on with that, and it still holds true today, so uh, just for different reasons. And we just, uh, humans that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and I have made this point on another podcast recently. Did the Japanese internment camps teach us nothing? Did they really teach us nothing? And yet, here we are. Doing the same thing again. Well, anyway. So, no. Okay. So, but let's let's go. Before we talk about that, let's talk about yeah. when they wrote this episode. That was the fear, right? That we would mm-hmm. end up with the exact same problem we had in World War II. Because we had just had the 9-11 attacks a few years earlier. There were people attacking mosques and Muslims. And they, there was fear that somebody would think it was a bright idea to put them in internment camps to, quote, unquote, protect them. Which we hear more than once in this episode. Oh, yes. So... So, okay, so the, the episode, we'll get into it uh, in more detail later, but the episode opens with the cold open of Mayweather rolling over, seeing the captain looking out, and you see Suleban walking by. So w- when this happened, I thought they were captives, actually, or somehow snuck into a Suleban city, right? Isn't that kind of what you felt in the very first scene? 
They didn't show any yeah. bars. They didn't show any guards. They just saw two Suliban like walking down the hallway and walking away. Yeah, it, it looked to me like they were in some kind of cell because there were very few amenities in that room. And, uh, you know, my first jokey thought was, oh, gosh, you drank way too much. and <laughs> You don't know where you are now. But that, you know, that was just my, my joke thought. But uh, I wasn't sure what to think at the beginning because I thought, are they undercover trying to find out something about the Suliban and they got caught? But they're not dressed differently. They're still in their uniforms. So I was basically confused about what I thought of the cold open because I really just didn't have enough information yet. Right. But this is like one of the things that Star Trek loves to do. They they have prisons with no prison jumpsuits. Yeah, right. Because we find out later that they are in a detention center. But they go to their door in that cold open and he even opens the door. So it's like this is the worst prison ever if they're being held captive because they can just open the door. Um, and this just seems to be like uh, a common thread in, in Star Trek now. <laughs> like, n- no prison. Yeah, you get to wear your own clothes. Don't worry about it. I mean, you only got the one pair for the rest of your life, but cool. And uh, and doors that open all the time. Yeah, but those doors certainly do not lead outside. No, not this time. They they have in other episodes, but not this one. And they have a curfew, a very strict curfew, that if you break it, you get thrown into isolation. Yeah, which is interesting because. Okay, so, all right, about that scene, that's another great scene uh, that pertains to both the Japanese internment camps, 9-11, and now. They had, when that happens, you see Archer stop the the one Suleiman, I can't remember his name, but he stops him and basically says to him, it's not right to do to your daughter. Don't make her a cabal. And he says, we're not. We're not all the same. You don't know what you're talking about. It's basically what he's getting at. So you have... Archer's preconceived notions of what a Suliban is, because the only ones he's ever met were Cabal, and mm-hmm. you have what's clearly um, the uh, the detention center believes, you know, the, or the the race believes that all Suliban are are going to become terrorists, right? Yeah, the Tandarians. Right. Excuse me, Tandarians. My so they believe they're all going to become terrorists, whether they are or not now, <laughs> and. Um, then they turn around, and in the middle of arguing, he starts to realize, wow, this guy's just like a regular guy. And they come in, they tell him this is the second time this week you've broken curfew, even though he was clearly just doing his laundry with his daughter. But he, they know each other's names. Like, they have a relationship with the guards as if they're almost buddies. He even says to the second guard, oh, just make sure she gets home okay. Like, that's yeah. just such a weird relationship, even for that well, situation. They're trying to keep up the lie that this is for their protection. And so, yes, it is a police state that they're living in, but, you know, they give them a few caveats here and there to make them feel like they're not, you know, under constant scrutiny when in actuality they are. No, I, no, I understand that, but I don't, I mean, maybe because he has a daughter, he has to think differently. Yeah. But I know, like, me personally, I mean, if my kids were there, I guess it would be different. But if, if they weren't, I don't care what you give me. We're not going to be friends. Yeah. The only way you're going to be friends with me is if you open that door and let me out. Yeah, I don't think it's a matter of them being buddies. It doesn't, it's a matter of being familiar I with guess. each other. I still would. But, okay. Yeah. But so we, we see that first scene where they where they go get Archer and Mayweather. Right, mm-hmm. and that's when you, you first see Dean Stockwell, which is awesome because he was standing there with a the little calculator, 
So it was just yeah, like. Yeah, it looked like uh, his little pad that he used when to he was talk Al, to Ziggy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, yeah. they're back together. It's great. I mean, we only get them for one episode, so that sucks. But it was great yeah. to see. Um, unfortunately, that's the end of the happy part of having Al around. Everything's downhill from that moment on. And yeah. he he's really polite during that whole exchange. Extremely. So so you see you think oh well he's t- his hands are tied by their strict regulations and he's doing the best he can. Not so much. Which is what we always hear, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We always hear I'm just following orders. Yes, the so Nazis. Are the, Nazis. Said it. the mm-hmm. the um the agents who put the the Japanese Americans in internment camps said it. The mm-hmm. he uh we have people saying it today, literally flat out saying, we're just following orders. I mean, it, it's just a, a recurring thing throughout history that following, just following orders. And I understand when you're in a military organization, that's kind of what you're supposed to do. But it can't always be an excuse. Yeah, you can't use that to justify any of those previous examples. Ever. That's not a defense. Because guess what all the people who were in the Nuremberg trials said? I was just following orders. Correct. That's, and that's that's what I'm trying to get. Like, everyone said that. So he he's using the I'm just following orders excuse. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. It's three days. You'll be out of here. Blah, 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 blah. And he goes on to, and he asks uh, Archer, I think it's in this conversation. It might be in the next one. I think he's asked it in both, actually. And he says, oh, no, it was this one where he starts it. He says, you know, we found you in our military uh, zone. He goes, you didn't notice? And he's like, oh, I was curious. And he basically yeah, we, gives them. We this. got an energy reading that we couldn't identify. and We were curious. Right. So he basically gives them, you know, the uh, he, a blow off with, with by basically saying, you know, curiosity killed the cat. And uh, he does that more than once in this episode as well. He says it here and he'll say it the next time they run into each other. Um, and then ironically, he'll be curious. But we'll get into that when we get there. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so he hits him with the, that, and then he, he says, don't worry, three days, there'll be a transport. Uh, Archer says, can I talk to my crew? He says, sorry, regula- uh, I can't. Uh, Archer gives him an out at that point and says, oh, regulations, right? So, again, with the, I'm just following orders, sorry. Look, if you know it's a human rights violation, you can find a way to circumvent those regulations, now couldn't you? Yeah. Especially one as simple as letting him call his ship that's in orbit. Yeah. And well, they weren't there yet. Well, nearby. But they were nearby. And the thing is, he does say, you know, I will call your ship in myself and I will advise them of the situation. And he does do that. And that's the last thing he does that he says he's going to do. <laughs> After that, he's, he'll say he's going to do things. And then he gives the Enterprise a completely different story than what's actually going on. Yes. But I mean, to me, he's been lying the whole time because he knew. He knew he was only going to be honest if he got the information he wanted. Mm-hmm. So he knew up front that he was lying about the three days. It might have worked out okay, but there was no way he was intending on sending him if he didn't get the information about the Suleban, if he didn't get the information about uh, a Selic. And he knew that already. <sighs> I mean, again, so now we move forward in this episode, right? And we mm-hmm. have where he pull Now Archer and this... Suleban are starting a relationship. He's eating lunch Danic. with him. The daughter goes, you look like them. And she tells, he tells her to go play with her friends. And then his buddy comes in and basically tells him, you know, I don't trust you. I Basically, I hate you because of who you look like. So now we have both races doing the same thing to each other um, to certain degrees, you know. And yeah. that comes to a head later with Mayweather. But 
while this is happening, they come eventually they come and get uh, Archer again, but just Archer this time. And Archer goes to talk to the colonel, and this is when the colonel loses it because he turns around, he tells him basically that uh, I want information. I had my my secret service look into you basically, and we have all this information on you. You you know about Broken Bow. You you know about the Suliban who got on your ship, and you know about this, you know about that. What I want information. Tell me information. And when he won't answer him, he says, eh, it'd be a shame if you missed that, that, that uh, transport in three days. The next one's in 60. And again, he tells him, you know, because he said, why are you getting friendly with him? He goes, ah, I'm sorry, I'm curious. He goes, yeah, I, I understand the, uh, you know, you wanted to be an explorer and everything, but, you know, curiosity, not the best thing for you. But I'm curious about what you know. And it's basically what he says exactly. Mm-hmm. So... It's cool for him to be curious, but not anyone else, because then they might find out the truth. Yep, and he does not want that. No, and, and this is exactly the wrong way to treat a captain of Starfleet, because if you tell them not to be curious, and I want answers, they're we've seen time and time again, they're going to find out why you want answers so bad. What are yeah, you hiding? I, to be fair, the Tandarians have never come across Starfleet before. They don't know. They don't know the indomitable indomitable spirit of humans needs to discover new things. The indomitable snowman, the indomitous Rex, and the indomitable snowman had a baby. Yes. (laughs) And Starfleet. Sorry. Yeah, and it was Starfleet. Starfleet. Indomitable. (laughs) Indomitable Starfleet. So, right. And and this is where all the poop hits the fan, basically. Mm -hmm. For... for, uh... Uh, in Stockwell, actually, because now, now more than ever, Archer wants to know, and he starts hatching a plan to escape. Yeah, we see them talk to the ship, and we keep getting the same old. I'm doing it because I have orders. Yeah, and uh, to Paul, I don't think fell for it for a second, but she was trying to be diplomatic, because Vulcans are known for you know, ask questions first, then shoot later. Rather than the other way around, right? Um, Which but, I, I uh, thought those were good. Um, those two were good playing off each other. Her and Trip, yes, because Trip yes. was all about shoot first and we'll figure it out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, and she she was more about gathering information and seeing what Grat was going to tell her and what he was holding back. And uh, she was she was one cool customer. She was a good. Uh, she was the best person he could have talked to in this instance. Because she knows early on he is not on the level. Right. I mean, look, obviously what she's doing is the right way to do it. Um, I would definitely be Trip. So, <laughs> but <laughs> the only thing that bothers me with the way she does it is when she's arguing with Trip, she's the commanding officer. Mm-hmm. So just put your foot down. End of story. There is no reason. And they do this, they write her this way a few times, and it bothers me, where she goes, and I think that's the way Captain Archer would want it. As if that needs to hold any more weight. No, I'm the commanding officer. I said we're not shooting first. That's the end of the story. Yeah, but at the same time, I think that she is still, I mean, it's still season one. Uh, People still don't necessarily trust her judgment, per se. They still don't know that much about her because they've never had this much much exposure to working on a starship with a Vulcan. Mm -hmm. And so... That influences their decisions, and so this tension between her and Trip is understandable because Trip is gung ho, and T'Pol is like, "We cannot go in there shooting," 
And even at the very end, <laughs> you know, even the whole way of getting everything resolved and getting them out of there does not involve going in with guns blazing. And it should have. It really should have. <laughs> like, that's what you always think. I know. You just want people to die. Well, bad people, not good ones. Yeah, bad so. people. But, but, we, but if, right. if the bad people die, they're not alive to suffer their failures. Eh, they're also not alive to make the mistake <laughs> again. I mean, <laughs> oh, well. Fair point. Fair point. If, if they were alive, I got to feed them. Yeah. You know? That's well, true. Bye. <laughs> We're not talking about little things. We're talking about, you know, genocide and human rights violations here. Yeah. For so, uh, Suleban rights violations. Yes. But, but yes. So, okay, but now they, they show this, and here's the part where this becomes a little more current. Um, during that scene, just before he talks to, to the colonel, they show that the Suleban, I can't remember his name. Danik. Thank you, Danik. Danik gets a letter from his wife because she's trying to appeal to get back to him, and they mm -hmm. keep denying her. So, you know, they it's him and his daughter, but his wife is split off in another detention center somewhere, and they will not put the family together, even though they're claiming, you know, we do this for them. Because mm -hmm. on the first day after the cabal attacked, 14 were killed in a single day. Which seems, mm. I'm sorry, that seems like a really low number. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, they said it as if I was supposed to be like, oh, 14? I can't what, believe did you 14. Mean to, did you mean to put a million after that? Yeah, like... Or a thousand? Or... I know. <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to make a comparison on 11, and they used the number 14. Which mm. is, I, I get it, this is the reaction to 9-11, not 9-11 itself, because when they do 9-11, it's 7 million, which is ridiculous. Yep. Hi, but but still, like I don't know, they could have come up with a better number than fourteen in a day, right? Well, it's all about like even if they just said in a single attack, that would have been better. Yeah. Than a day. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those weird things that, but that's the thing. They're an alien culture. We don't know what a lot is to them. And fourteen, maybe they've never lost fourteen people in one day before. It's possible. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe their murder rate is like one in a decade. Because so of their be freaking military state. But but no, but see, that's the thing. But they weren't before this, right? I mean, they're not this way to their own people. It's only the Suleban. And to this point, at now, at, later on, I think differently of them. But at this point, I think that the colonel is actually the most dangerous a person can be. Because I think he really believes he's helping them. Absolutely. Which which makes he him is... more dangerous than if he is a raging lunatic who just wants to imprison them. Because then he, there's no question whether he's helping them or not. He just likes doing it. And that's okay because I can work with that. But when you really believe you're right, you're going to fight harder to keep it. Oh, absolutely. He believes he's a hero. He right. He absolutely believes he's a hero. Right. And actually, I do think at the end a little differently because I, I, I mean, I still think he thinks he's doing the... What's good for oh, them, does. but for himself, they, his, it just changes a little bit. But, but yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's. Uh, can't say that on the radio. Um, <laughs> he's bat poop crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's bat guano crazy. Yeah, I mean, and he's just he's out bat of his guano mind. crazy. He really believes he's helping them, which is what the, everyone said to themselves during World War Two. Mm-hmm. So. Uh. I don't know. So now, now that he starts threatening the Enterprise, 
right? After the back and forths with giving them all this information, telling them it's going to be delayed a few days, just be patient. He's real nice every time he talks to them. Um, this is when Topal finally realizes <laughs> there's something wrong. This just no, I isn't think, the case. I think she knew before, but she'd had enough at that point. She's just like, nope. I'm out. See, now, okay, I thought she believed there was going to be a legit legal proceeding at that point, in the beginning. Because she even says to trip, you know, let's just go, get them back. We can't interfere with their legal system. So she, I think she felt that this was just a misunderstanding and that he was in a regular prison. Well, maybe after the first conversation, but not in any conversation thereafter. No, I agree. I agree. So. After that, they went all the... Pieces. She she was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt at first, but that disappeared very quickly. And then and then at this point now she's like sneaking up on them and dropping in, you know, they're uh, they're sending a, a communicator in, and and that's yeah. when it gets good because now we get to see just exactly who these people really are. I mean, not that we haven't already seen it, but they find this thing in Mayweather's room in his pocket, and they beat him senseless. Oh, they really beat the crap out of him. You know, so, so, and th- and here's the this is where the turning point is where they where the other Sulaban start to believe that they're not working for the detention center and that they are going to try and help them get out. Yeah, and who can blame the Sulaban for being cautious? Because you know you have these people that you've never heard of that you've never seen that look very similar to your captors. I wouldn't trust them either at first. And that, again, is a whole thing about judging someone by their race or appearance. And that's the Suliban were doing that to Archer and Mayweather, but Archer and Mayweather were also doing that to the Suliban at first. So it's not a great parallel because the humans are actually different races. If they had had someone of the same race or if, let's say that, whatever, they, they made the plot where Archer and Mayweather looked like them, they were infiltrating and got caught or something it would it would it would make more sense because that's a that's a very big commentary on you know certain races don't know who to trust once the poop hits the fan you know like once this starts to happen you might have all good intentions but they're not going to trust you because of the color of your skin or because of you being an american during the internment camp the japanese aren't going to trust regular americans even if they are there for their best interest because all they know is too many of them are rounding us up and throwing us in prisons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was different. They, they they did look similar, but they didn't look identical. So it kind yeah. of throws that off. But I think that's what they were trying to get at in that part of the story. But now yes. this guy believes them. And they found a bunch of people that are going to help. And they end up turning Reed into a Suliban. <laughs> he looked good as a Suliban. He does. Now, what do you think of the Suliban's makeup in general? Uh, it looks itchy. Very, right? <laughs> it looks like it would be really bad for your skin. What it looks like to me is that someone basically took a bowl of oatmeal and started spreading it on the skin and let it dry and crackle and then put coloring on top of it. I never thought of it that way. Okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it looks like to me. I guess it does. But dried oatmeal. It, it, it's just a little weird. Like when the guy turns his neck and stuff. It's obvious, like, a latex suit at that point, and he gets mm-hmm. all wrinkly. Like, everyone's like an old man at that point. But um, whatever, I think they do a great job, except that they go, they stay a little too far away from the eyes, and you see too much regular skin color there. Well, that could just be 
a feature of the Super Bowl. It could be. I mean, that's definitely how they portray it. I would just rather if they didn't. I think it would look better if they didn't have that feature. Well, and you know, they can still go in there with different color and color that skin. But it's it's difficult when you're getting that close to the eye because there's not a lot of stuff that you can use that close to the eye that won't give you infections and crap. So I understand why they would be more careful around the eye area because you don't want to accidentally blind your actors. No, that would be bad too. Yeah. That would be bad too. So, but Reed does look good except for the nose. Apparently, according to Flox, he doesn't like the nose. <laughs> um, that was a great scene too because all you see is the little red light and he's like, oh, I'm almost ready. Uh, I just don't like the nose. And even before he said nose, because that was supposed to be like the hint he's making a Sulaban. But even mm-hmm. before he said that, you knew he was making a Sulaban, right? Absolutely. You just didn't know who he was making into a Sulaban. But by process elimination, we had just seen Trip and Paul, so it really kind of had to be Reed, right? Absolutely. And it's even so, yeah, even so, the first time I saw him, it took me a second. And I'm like, okay, look at the eyes. Yep, that's Malcolm. So, yeah, yeah. Well, no, once you see him, yeah, it's obvious that it's Malcolm. And I like it because he comes in talking like a Suleban, and Mayweather's like, Whoa, well, who are you? And he's like, What, you don't recognize me? And it was like, Ah, it is Malcolm. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so, that was a pretty cool scene the way they pulled that one off. And then. So this scene always bothered me a lot. What did you think of the of the ex- the explosives diagonally along the wall that Malcolm turns on? Like they're harassing them. No one knows that this guy. See, this is why you need prison jumpsuits, you dummies. Nobody knows he doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's just an extra prisoner. There's 90 people, in, you know, prisoners in the in the place now. Well, 92. There's 89 Suleban plus. Archer and Mayweather, and now Reed, and nobody notices this, an extra body because they don't have jumpsuits, so he doesn't have a number or anything. And probably all Suleban look alike to them. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. That's what we're getting at here, right? They're all yep. identical. I guess there's a boy version and a girl version, and that's it. And uh, But okay, so he plants the devices on the wall. He had already planted the devices on the wall. And he clicks them on, and they start lighting up green. And three Idiot guards walk up green flashing lights on a wall. Mm-hmm. Does that not bother you? No, it doesn't really because... You never heard of bombs? Yeah, they've heard of bombs, but they couldn't fathom that anyone in there could possibly have gotten those bombs in. Why not? They got a tricorder in. Well, not a communicator, but... Yeah, but that's very different than an explosive. I don't know. I... I just I feel like they don't have any experience with anyone attacking from within. I guess and I just so... I would hope. Look, I'm not rooting for detention centers, but I would hope <laughs> our guards are just a little bit smarter than that. I would think that they've become complacent, if nothing else, for how long they've been there. Maybe, but now don't we have a big shakeup at this point? Because we do have these two humans in here, right? And then we have that they've already contacted their ship. You know, the colonel knows it because he contacted them. Mm-hmm. Then they respond back to him. You know, they responded back to him and, and messed up his thing so they can get that tricorder down. Ugh, I keep calling it a tricorder. The communicator down there. So you would think they would all be on high alert at that point. You would think, but they're I would obviously hope. not the sharpest knives in the Right, door. so that bothers me because I just think, oh, man, you guys are so dumb you deserve to die. Oh, oh! They do. They blow up the wall on them. They had to have died. Huh. 
You see them fly across the room. Yeah, well, they might have just been severely concussed. Nah, they died. Lived. I want them okay. to die. In my okay. Word, my head cannon, they're dead. At least, at the very least, the guy on the wall was dead. Because the other two were kind of a little farther away. But the guy up on the wall, he's gone. It blew out a, a seven inch thick to twelve inch thick concrete wall. He's dead. D E D dead. <laughs> and now we have the big fight scene. This is this is the climax of the whole episode. Is when Dean Stockwell attacks Archer, and this is the point where he starts screaming at him. Don't you know what you've done to them? You you're killing them. This is yeah, where you really realize. You've just given the Cabal 89 new soldiers. Yes. So what is it, dummy? Is it that they're going to become soldiers and that's what you're afraid of? Or are you protecting them? Yeah. Well, he's protecting them from becoming soldiers. <sighs> I, I guess. Okay. Jerk. That's how he justifies everything that he does is by making himself his, his own hero. But Yeah, well, in his own mind. Yeah, exactly. Evil people... Never think that they're evil. They think that they're the hero of their story. Well, true. I mean, that's, so. that's sadly true. Um, but that's what makes it even harder because he's he's that crazy. Mm-hmm. He really thinks that he's right. Not that, not even that what he's doing. See, here's the thing. If he only thought what he was doing was right for him and his race, that's one thing. But he literally thinks he's protecting them, which gives him yeah. more conviction to do bad things to them. It makes no sense, but uh, crazy people never do. And not only that, the, the the irony of it is that isn't this experience more likely to make the Suleban want to join the Cabal? Of course it is. And so they would have been better off just leaving them the heck alone. I didn't want to say heck, but I have to. <laughs> Just leave them be, and chances are there would be fewer Suleban in the Cabal. Of course there would be. I mean, that's that's obvious. I mean, the best way to turn these guys into Cabal is to torture them into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, there's going to be some that are going to join anyway, right? It's just yeah. the way it is. But you're definitely not helping yourself by grabbing them before they've even had a chance to decide. Yeah, by just deciding that you're protecting them because they're Suleban. Right. And if they're left to their own devices, they'll just automatically join the Cabal. So the beautiful belief here is that you grab me and my buddies and we don't become Cabal. You might be right. I might be in a detention center for the rest of my life. But what about my family members that you didn't get? Mm -hmm. Or my best friend that you didn't get? What do you think you did? You, You pushed him in that direction. Yeah. So now you created one of what you don't want. I clearly wouldn't want my best friend to be in to do that with his life. So who won? Nobody. Nobody wins in war ever. No, it, it's it's just and this is it's just ridiculous. It is so, ridiculous. And it and is that... what what happens time and time again throughout history. Yep. Well, and that's the thing is that when people do these sort of, will commit these sort of atrocities, perpetuate these sort of atrocities, they're always thinking it's for the greater good. And whatever they need to say in their minds to justify that they're the hero, that they're doing the right thing. And yet they never stop to look at it logically. They're, they're always working from emotion, 
from some kind of emotion, be it hate or fear or what have you. It's those kinds of decisions are always based on emotion. They're never based on logic because anyone actually thinking logically about the situation would know, hey, maybe we shouldn't round up all these people and make them hate us so that they'll want to go join the cabal. Hmm. Right, exactly. And and if we look through history, you can pretty much pick out that group for every decade as far back as we can write history. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it, it happens about every 10 years. It changes who that group is. Mm-hmm. But you can find them in every single decade. I can point them out. Sometimes it lasts more than a decade. It's the same yeah. people. But typically it changes about every 10. Last, you know, before it was the whole 9-11 thing triggered it. Before that it was the, we had the um, the ex-Soviet bloc were the terrorists, right? And then before that we had the Soviets. And before that, I could, we could just keep going back and back and back and back and back. And eventually we get to the Romans and the Greeks and... And it's the well, same thing. The, and this is probably happening even before recorded history. Of course it was. We just don't have it written down. Yeah. As long as humanity has existed. And this is why sometimes I don't think we're ever going to get to that Star Trek future because we just can't learn. <laughs> it is true. Um, I think... Uh... I don't know if I don't think it was on this. No, it wasn't. I was on the edge. We were talking with John Kikorian from Trek Profiles, but he said it best. He said to be a, a Star Trek fan. Really, the sad thing is he didn't say it this way. I'm saying it, but um, you have to be an optimist. But you just we don't have to agree on how that turns out. But you have to be an optimist that it will turn out for the betterment of everybody. But the problem is, in my opinion, is you can see in this exact example. What is the betterment of everybody? Yeah. Is it is it rounding up Suleiman and throwing him in detention centers? I don't believe that at all. Yeah, there are people out the there thing. who do. How do you define what the betterment is? Right. Unfortunately, uh, the betterment of all people has to be a consensus, and that's not going to happen. It's not, because what's better for some is not better for others. You and that's... I can't agree on possibly how to run in a McDonald's, let alone a country no. or a world. We so. definitely couldn't agree on that. But <laughs> what the the thing I can paint it in very broad strokes. I believe that everyone deserves equal rights. Everyone deserves to have their health be taken care of. Everyone deserves to live as they want to live, uh, as you know, provided that their actions aren't hurting or killing other people. But those are extremely broad strokes. Okay, so but here now. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Don't people don't kill me. Um, the, here's the problem I see with that because I actually mm-hmm. very much agree with everything you just said, and I can find tooth a lot of that. But I could show you people who would say, "Well, I have a different definition of everyone than you do." I also yeah. believe everyone should have um, freedom, and I think everyone should have the right to health care, and I think everyone should have the right to this. But everyone excludes this, that, and the other thing. But that's the thing. That's not everyone. Right. In, in normal people uh, <laughs> definition, I agree. But that that doesn't mean that everyone agrees with that definition. So we have people that claim to agree that don't even agree. So how could we get people that don't agree to ever agree? <sighs> yep, I confused Here's everybody. Thank you. No. Good night. Uh, well done. 
And that's going to do it for this episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> final thoughts? No, shut up, Pat. Yeah. You do not have any final thoughts. You are not everyone. <laughs> I am not part of everyone because I am to no. Pat. Uh, Vulcan writes. Yeah. Uh, basically, sadly, I think the only thing that would bring us together is that annihilation of World War Three, and having fewer people around. Because... I don't I don't understand why the humans have to divide divide themselves into this us versus them thing. I've never understood that. Because take away everything else, take away the color of the skin, our gender, sexuality, religion, political beliefs, etc. Take away all of those things. We are all the same under our skin. Every single one of us. We are all human yes. beings. We are the human race. And at the end of the day, even if we could do that, and there were only two people left on the planet, they'd be punching each other for an extra stone. Yeah, just like those guys in that Let This Be Your Last Battlefield, I think it was. Right. <laughs> yeah, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, exactly. Yeah. And, and if we could even figure out how to not argue over all the stupid nonsense that people argue over, mm-hmm. they'd find something else that was stupid to argue about. Like, I would cut the steak for me and the other person alive, and that person would think mine's bigger. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I don't understand humanity. (sighs) Sometimes I wonder if I'm really from here. (laughs) That would explain a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this episode? I appreciate the way that this episode was handled. I appreciate... Uh, Archer and Mayweather having their own biases at first and having to be shown that their biases were actually unfounded, even though the only experience they'd had was with Suleban from the Cabal, which isn't really true because there was that one Suleban whose name I can't remember that uh, they contacted when they were trying to get the Klingon back home and Broken Bow. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, I I think one of the things I, I like the most is how Travis puts it, because um, the Suleban are you know, still having problems trusting Archer and Mayweather. And he says, when I first got here, I had the same biases against you. And I learned to look past that. Why can't you? I'm like, fair point, Travis. I appreciate that. So I... And... and you know, in case no one got the metaphor, Archer actually talks about Japanese internment camps with Travis and how this reminds me of that, that a group of people were put in internment camps simply because of their genetic heritage. Right. They were Americans. They were Americans. They weren't Japanese immigrants. They were Americans. Right. Born in America. Yeah. And they, they even make that, sorry to cut your final thoughts off, but they even make that point when the guy says, you know, me and one of the guards, you know, I was friends with his brother. I was, I was born here. Like, and so they, they really try and drive that home that this is really, you know, the, the fear is that we will end up back in this internment camp error. And at the time, this was a very powerful episode. Look. I, I've said it before, I've said it a million times, it's one of the reasons I love Star Trek Enterprise so much, is that I'm in New York. I witnessed 9-11, and that's what this was. A lot of these episodes, especially once we get to season three, 
and all of the season three arc is the reaction to 9-11 and what happened afterwards and what could have happened afterwards. And this is an early episode that is talking about that before we really get to the 9-11 commentary that they make in season three. Even then we see that Archer goes in and everyone's ready to kill everyone, right? But mm-hmm. then they start realizing, ah, Degra's not as bad as I thought, and not all of these guys, they don't all live on the same planet anymore, and uh, maybe the reptiles kind of suck, but uh, the Arboreals the don't suck as much, and, you know, so, you know, th- this isn't the oh, last time this will come up, but this is a very powerful message very early, very right after 9-11 happened, and... The fear was, and there was there was attacks in New York on mosques and Muslim people just randomly walking down the street. And I mean, I don't know if fourteen dying in one day or anything like that, but there's a one would be too many, right? Beating up one is too many. Mm-hmm. Just simply attacking them because of what religion they believe in or how they dress or what they look like—that's too much. So this was a very good commentary, and I thought it spoke very well of the way people could have been treated if there weren't enough people saying, "Well, wait a minute, hold on." Not everybody's a terrorist, you know. So, some people are just here. Just because they perverted the religion doesn't mean that all the people who follow the religion feel the same way. Yeah, well, you wouldn't want all of Christianity being judged by the Spanish Inquisition, would you? No. Or the Crusades? No, and a, a large percentage of it could have been at that time. Yeah, and you so know? those are those are situations where an extreme has been invoked in that particular religion and it is not indicative of the religion as a whole and people just can't seem to freaking get that (sighs) so in any case i think this is one of the best star trek episodes ever in all of star trek because it's once again doing what star trek does best and taking social situations that have happened before are happening right now, etc., and giving us a science fiction perspective on it so that it just drives that point home even more succinctly. Couldn't agree more. And what I like about this one the most over other times that they've done this is they do not back off their point even a little. Correct. Many times they back off at the very end, they throttle it back just enough where they don't really make a choice. You know, mm-hmm. like um when when we had Sim, they don't they don't kill him. He accepts it and decides that he's going to do it, right? So well, they technically just, they still do kill him. They, no, but not <laughs> but, without his permission. Right. They don't murder him. Correct. That, that's a better way of putting it. But yeah. they change it just enough that everyone can kind of walk away with a guilt-free conscience, right? And they do this a lot throughout time. Like, even with Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, they just kind of dumped them back off on the planet and let them go at it. And we know at some point one of them killed the other, right? That's just the way it happened. But this time, they don't back off through the whole episode, and they go toe-to-toe. Archer goes toe-to-toe with the colonel, and they escape, but the point is made. This is... Star Trek draws a line in the sand and says, this is wrong. This is right, and that is yeah. wrong. And Archer still even has some reservations that maybe these people will, because of the way they are treated, go off and join the cabal. But that doesn't stop him from doing the right thing. Right. Well, look, 
we li- we live in a society where you punish people for crimes they've committed. Exactly. This is not Minority Report. This is not Minority Report, guys. Exactly, because that was a terrible movie. <laughs> it was a terrible movie. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing too, with right? me on that. People got really mad when I said that before on really? something else. Yeah. Did they only watch one movie in their life? I don't know. It's it's a matter of opinion. Someone's no, it's worst terrible. movie. Yeah, well, someone's worst movie is someone else's favorite. So I'm not going to the movies with those people ever. I, well, ever. no, but that's okay. We can go to the movies. Yes, we, we will. We will go to the movies. We will go to the movies and not watch Minority Report. Absolutely. Again. Yeah, well, talking about Minority Report isn't what we intended to do during this episode of Warp 5. Uh, There are other things going on around the network, so have a quick listen at what else you may have missed here on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. I thought it was really funny, not funny, but sort of weird. A, a, a good contrast that she was actually eaten by Klingons and then later the Emperor in the Mirror Universe is shown eating a Kelpian. I was just saying, oh, I, either nice. side of either universes, the species are munching on each other. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Warp 5. So we would have cool firefights at this point. We could bang, pew, pew, stuff like that. Yes. Well, you can yeah, only do so much in a hallway, stuff. dude. <laughs> Why? I said you can only do so much in a hallway. Maybe I don't in know. Like a, uh, maybe in the mess hall. There you go. Have you have you seen Star Trek? They're always hiding behind some like bulkhead that's just randomly placed in a hallway. <laughs> this is true. They're, they're yeah. all over the place. Earl Grey. So she's trying to balance this and she's playing along, but she gets to that point where it's like, and I, I love that scene as well. It's like. Now is the time to listen to me. We've tried to do it your way. It hasn't worked. I, basically, I'm ordering you to do that or I'll eject you into space. And we know how, how Troy is. Like She's the last person you'd think who would like exactly. eject someone into space. Yes. Or even threaten that. Or even threaten that. But because she's gotten to this point and is in this perilous situation, I believe that she might actually do it, you know? Melodic tricks. But the interesting thing about this episode's score... It was composed by Fred Steiner, who did a lot of episodes for the original Star Trek, but this episode did not have a complete score. Uh, In fact, there's only about 10 minutes of music that were actually recorded for this episode, and the rest of it was library material. So we're going to focus today on the music that was recorded specifically for this episode, and some of the fun music that that entails. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please, leave a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps on the Sulabon network, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. My dear, darling little boomers, we want to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are so many options for how you can do that. The best place, of course, is to join in the larger conversation on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners group on Facebook. Go to Facebook, to the search field, and type Babel, B-A-B-E-L. 
and it'll probably be the first thing that comes right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact, choose to send to a show, and select Warp 5, not Minority Report. That will come right to us, and you can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Patrick, when you are not being devil's advocate about what is good for everybody, where can people find you? Well, I'm always arguing what the term everybody means. But when I'm not <laughs> doing that, I pop up here and there on the uh, Babel Conference. I haven't had much time to be on there lately, but uh, I should be able to be on there a little more. I'm also on Twitter at MagicDrop5. It is uh, no spaces. The five is a number and not a word. And I'm also, you can find me on the network. I pop up here and there on other shows. But every other week, you can definitely find me hanging with my buddy Amy over at The Edge. So, Brandy, when you're not setting up explosives on the inside of a prison wall that obviously doesn't kill people, even though it blows through 12 inches of concrete, where can people find you? Well, I'm all about maiming but not killing. So, <laughs> you can find me uh, on Twitter, BrandyWine12. Brandy is with an I. 12 is a number. You can sometimes find me lurking in the Babel Conference, uh, like Patrick. I don't have a whole lot of time to do that these days, but I do lurk from time to time. Uh, you'll hear me pop up every once in a while on the 602 Club. Um, about a week and a half ago, an episode came out that I was on about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, episode number 188. So give that a listen if you've seen the movie. Please don't listen to it if you haven't seen the movie because you will be confused. And uh, I do a podcast with my wonderful husband, Dave. He is wonderful. I love you, Dave. And it's called The Dark Corner Podcast, which you can find at darkcornerpodcast.com where we talk about whatever the H we want, but mostly a lot of pop culture stuff from a darker lens. There is swearing. Please do not let children listen. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron on the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And at this time, we would love to thank all of our wonderful associate producers for Warp 5, which are... Who are? Excuse me. Norman Silau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, and Chris Tribuzio. We thank you so much for your support. Without you this podcast would not be possible and we thank you for all that you have contributed all right then i guess that is it for this episode of warp five um we hope that brandon's okay wherever he's being brainwashed or had his clothes and belongings stolen or has been knocked out by a woman with a dog or anyway. thunderstorms <laughs> yes yeah, all of that that too uh, so we, we wish you well, Brandon. I, I hope you're safely on Ryza by now. And, and if you're not, well, pff, dude, you do beforehand, really. So that is it. We will see you next week. Or actually, we will hear from you next week. No, we will talk to you next week on, here on Warp 5. So keep calm and boom on.
did used to question my mother's story that I was born of her. There was an incident in junior high when my accelerated science teacher typed my blood and I had asked my mother what her blood type was and she said A and then I asked what my dad's blood type was and she said A. Now I know the rules of blood types and if you have parents who are both A blood type, your blood type is A. Right. Yeah, there is yes. no way to be anything else. My blood type was B. Huh. And I finally had the ammunition to accuse my mother of adopting me and never coming clean about it. <laughs> she had to go into my science teacher and let him type her blood. Turns out she's B. Oh, wounded all. <laughs> But there was a space of a few days where I was convinced that I was right because I didn't feel like I looked like anyone else in the family. I certainly didn't act like anyone else in the family. And I was convinced I was an alien or something. Uh, but but now as good. I've grown older, I actually look so much like my dad. It's not a good thing. <laughs> totally do. Yeah, I'm, I'm very clearly my father's son. So yeah. there's no question there whatsoever. But still... Every once in a while, I wonder, just because we have the same blood type. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Mom, horrible. I am not accusing you again of adopting me. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, my blood type is a universal donor. Yay. You're an O? Yep. Ah. Uh... And not the O that can take from everybody. The O that can only give. Yeah. <sighs> so. That's so much fun. You're just like Mad Max. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, Apropos my, of nothing. My phone constantly rings from New York Blood Bank. Mm. They, they never call me. They're like, no, you have too much. You have too much pro. Too many problems. <laughs> too many problems in your past, honey. We don't want that. Yeah, they love me. But all right. Uh, 